I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadandi and Bibbulmun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Noongabudja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 102. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure. And today I have the pleasure of chatting with Kashira Whiteley. Kashira is a life coach. In her work, she supports her clients on their path toward personal alignment and healing through unlearning old trauma responses and pattern behavior that no longer serves them, as well as holding space for their self-exploration and integration so that they're able to unlock the codes to receiving their inner narrative and self-talk through developing new tools for their emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual health. Her methods are holistic in nature, integrating science, the study of human psychology and behavior, ancient practices such as astrology, as well as her own intuition and clairsentience. Kashira believes in honoring the human experience at every level, mind, emotion, body, and spirit, with awareness of how these facets are all intimately interconnected and intersected. On this episode, the two of us talk about Kashira's experience with slut-shaming, as well as uh, we kind of break down this idea of narcissism and maybe whether the term narcissism is being overused. We talk about codependent relationships as well as experimenting with your sexuality from celibacy to promiscuity, as well as uh, Kashira's foray into creating erotic content on OnlyFans. And we also touch on the similarities between personal training and pro-doming. So you can find Kashira and all of her work on Instagram at consciously cash and that's K A S H for cash. She's also got a YouTube channel and you can find out how to work with her uh, in the links in the show notes. This was a lovely conversation with Kashira. I wish we could have talked more, uh, but it was really nice to connect. So I hope you enjoy listening. When a boy is between the ages of 13 and 16, the testes begin to produce sperm cells. The old contraceptive, uh, the condom, it's uh, wrapped in rather a sort of crinkly paper. John, let's be straightforward about this. I'm not here to make a moral judgment, but you and I know that it was contracted through sexual intercourse with an infected person. The, uh, the invitation I, I'd like to start with is an invitation for you to share a little bit about who you are, uh, what it is that you do, and I'm also really interested in what you're passionate about as well. So I'd love to just give you the floor for a few minutes to share about yourself and what your passions are. Thanks very much. Um, so my name is Kashira. I'm a life coach. I'm I'm a very ADHD life coach, so I've always found niching incredibly difficult. Um, but I, my, my focus really is on coming back to like authentic truth. Um, I would say that I'm a relationship coach, but focusing really primarily on the, on the relationship with self and then how from that foundation, um, we can bring it out into our interpersonal relationships. Right. So I do a lot of work or I do a lot of shadow work. I do a lot of trauma work. 
um, a lot of work around self-esteem, um, a lot of work around inner child healing and essentially how we're communicating with ourselves, how we're speaking to ourselves and how we're building tools to manage ourselves, particularly in our wounds and, and in our traumas. And then I also do a lot of work on, on communication and vulnerability and how we bring that out into our interpersonal relationships. Um, for me, a lot of my healing journey has also, because I, because I do social media, I've shared a lot of my personal healing journey in that as well. Um, and a lot of that has been around my sexuality and a lot. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's definitely part of, part of my work and part of my work on social media and actually the, the sort of backstory of how I created my OnlyFans page. Oh, wow. Um, I'm curious about like, that journey okay and it's kind of like one of the reasons why i wanted to to invite you on is to have a bit of a chat about that and um i know like for example and i'd love to get into this with you 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 shared about doing a year um like celibate as well intentionally celibate um and yeah so i'm, I'm i guess i'm curious a, about some of the the um pivotal moments of that journey with regards to sexuality and how it's informed like the work that you do today yeah um, it's, it's a long story <laughs> as journeys, journeys are, um, I was like mercilessly slut shamed, uh, when I was, when I was a child, um, or I'd lost my virginity. So it was kind of my introduction to sex was very much, a, it was very shameful. You know, it was very much about, um, about not, not just sex being wrong but my brand of what I my sexuality being wrong my um how I made other people feel being my fault and that being being wrong um I went to my, my headmaster I didn't go to a, a Christian school but my headmaster at the time was very Christian I hit puberty at a very young age um and really started developing you know developing breasts developing hips uh when I was about 11 um started my periods around those times so I was I was a child sort of navigating a world that was far too old for me uh where I was at mentally and where I was at physically was really quite a vast difference um and so already at sort of 11 I was getting catcalled I was getting whatever on the street and I was also dealing in school with a lot of even accusations around you know I was accused of being a child prostitute when I wasn't you know by my headmaster to my mother luckily my mum um is very supportive and and it was the claims were I was with her when I'd been seen <laughs> prostituting and things like that so it was it was very um extreme and very ridiculous i had things these in the very early days of social media um but there was things posted about me around on on facebook uh you know rumors uh again that were untrue and especially navigating all of these things that i had done supposedly done when i hadn't actually ever done them at all so, you know so about like 
Uh, I remember once there was a uh, uh, there was like a party and there, like a rumor went round that I gave all of the years all the boys in the year above me a blowjob, and like I was, I'd never given anyone a blowjob at that point. So it created as well. I would say like going in then when I did lose my virginity, um, there was a really big disconnect between like m- my actual being in touch with myself sexually and it not being always kind of about other people and in some way performative and in some ways um, kind of internalizing the narrative of kind of that I, that that's like all, all that was visible in me, you know, this, the sexual aspect of, of me in a very derogatory way was all that was sort of obvious and visible um, of me, particularly to men. Um, and, and I, and I would say that like in, in, and I think this is true actually for probably most people, um, that, you know, that the early, the early days of my sex life, my active sex life was quite performative. And I think, and I say, I think that's true for most people, because I think we all carry a level of insecurity about, um, but I, but because it was also very trauma and wound based for me, um, I think I was very predisposed to to betray myself, to and and I was also vulnerable um, to to, pred- to to predatory behavior, um, and didn't have healthy sexual boundaries. I didn't have. Um, I was. I was completely a serial monogamous from again a very very early age that was looking back now the way that I protected myself from like the the slut label um from wearing my I think I was I think probably it was from about 14 to 22 uh I don't think I was out of a relationship for longer than maybe three weeks you know um and uh it was my, it was, I guess in, in my 14 year old brain, it was like, who can call me a slut if I have a boyfriend? You know, you can't, you can't say that about me if I have a boyfriend. And it was again, trauma driven, wound driven. Um, uh, I didn't make great picks <laughs> often. Uh, some, yeah, some, I, I lucked out. I lucked out with some really awesome guys too um but that was and having very long-term relationships again from a really really young age you know I think you know most of my most of those relationships lasted from a year to three years starting from 14 and then one one that was an eight-year relationship um and so when I came out of the last you know that the last relationship of that sort of time period that 14 to, to 22 that was an, an eight year we were involved with each other for eight years one of the most terrifying things coming out of that relationship was uh sleeping with other people um and so, and feeling so out of my depth in the dating world like I felt so behind everyone else all of like my develop developmental like teens early twenties years, loads of my friends had been traveling on their gap years, like done seasons abroad. Like all of my friends had 
experimented sexually way more um, and, and were a lot freer sexually than, than, I, than I was, um, particularly in that sort of like early dating or casual dating. You know, I wasn't in a place where I wanted to be in a monogamous relationship. I was old enough to recognize I don't want to just jump in again. You know, I don't want to just grab. It's like being stranded in in a river and just grabbing onto life raft. Um, and I just didn't want to live like that anymore. But I didn't know. I didn't know how not to. Um, I definitely didn't know how to mediate. It was like another narrative I think I'd built as well was like that I I was somebody that couldn't have casual sex. Um, and and there was a lot of self judgment and self shame in in that you know that it was like fine for other people um, cognitively at the at the thought level always been very very liberal um, minded but in how I felt about it it was like mm, yeah but I'm don't want to be that type of girl um, and so I'm picking that <laughs> I'm picking. I'm picking what had happened. And interestingly, the whole, my whole sort of past was very intrinsic to that, this period of my life, but not really still at the conscious level yet. You know, it was like, it was kind of there or I knew that it was, but I really wasn't ready to go there. Um, and had a lot of other stuff that I needed to unpack too. So, um, Start, started that journey I started that really deep I had I had been in therapy since I was a, since I was a teenager my my mom's my mom's a life coach and a spiritual companion most of her friends and colleagues are therapists like therapist coaches um I grew up on in a on a retreat center here called Cortijo Romero which is focused in personal development and I and I grew up in conscious community I'm a total hippie kid like middle of the mountains like running around free um and and in, in community there's three uh sites around the village that i'm from where people live in yachts and caravans and um it's it's it is incredibly beautiful my last reel i posted actually is like a really my a really good show of of what what home is like for me um and so I think I was always, I always wanted to work in personal development. I didn't know which space I wanted to work in in personal development. And my own personal personal development has always been very important for me. Um, but even so, it was really hard <laughs> and it was, it was really hard to face certain things. And I think that added like a lot of inspiration to me in terms of like my work you know I was like wow like I really couldn't be better set up <laughs> to be doing like not just to to work in this sector but to to do that this work on myself and it's still really fucking hard man <laughs> so what you know what what's it like for people out there that come from a family where there's a stigma around therapy and self-help what's it like for people that have just never even come into contact with with that world you know the barriers that you have to overcome um are immense even when it's like totally destigmatized and set up for you um, and that was yeah that was i would say the ending of 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 that 
long relationship phase of my life was the moment that I really started to dive into do deep, deep shadow work and deep trauma healing. I had been to therapy, like I say, from quite an early age and gone to therapy. I also, growing up in the space, had all the right words and all the jargon. I never went there. Did you, did you, I've always, always thought about this. Did you rebel against like the spiritual kind of self-development kind of conscious community? Because I kind of think like my parents are pretty straight laced and like my rebellion against them was to go and experiment with plant medicine and to like go and, you know, practice with psychedelics and talk about sex and be like really quite open and, and kind of polarized from their straight lacedness. And now I'm wondering, I've got a little son and I'm quite open and communicative and conscious and all those kind of like really beautiful things that I think anyway. Um, and so my, I always think in 15, 20 years time, he might rebel and become like a straight laced Christian minister or something like that. Who knows? I mean, I would say, yes, I did rebel against it. Um, I would say as well, never so much in myself. Uh, like, so I never really got to a point where I was like, personal developments look rubbish. Do you know what I mean? Because I didn't, I never felt it, you know? Um, I did leave home when I was 16 and moved to London, which couldn't be farther removed from my <laughs> roots. Um, and, and I spent 10 years living in London and, and a lot of that was very like career focused. I, I was uh, I was a bodybuilder and uh, I did fitness on social media. A large portion of my followers found me through that um, when I was when I was doing fitness and I was a bodybuilder. And I, it was actually uh, a decision that I that I made when I went into fitness. I was like, I knew I wanted to be a coach. And I was also aware that I was not in a place to do the type of work that I wanted to do and hold space for people in the way that I wanted to, that I needed to do a lot of my own work. So I was kind of in this phase of like, I know where I want to go. I'm very conscious of like how deep I want to go and that I'm not there yet myself. Um, and it was really an odd period of like, well, what do I, what do I do? And I was like, well, I can do personal training and that is a way that I can still begin to hold space for people um, with, with it being within the parameters of what I feel is actually like responsible of me. Um, and I did personal training and I, and I qualified as an NLP practitioner and I incorporated NLP into like my coaching training. Um, my, yeah, as in my fitness coaching training and yeah. And, and I definitely, as I moved into the influencer sphere, um, in the fitness industry and going out to, these parties and events and this and that and, and the other. And, and I, and I feel like a lot of that was my rebellion of like, I'm not going to be in this like simple hippie lifestyle. Like I wanted the glitz and the glam and I wanted the, the, the high life. <laughs> what I thought it was, what was the high life. And I can remember I ended up working in marketing and I was at this really swanky party um, in, in the sky gardens in London, um, which has insane views over. And it was like, it was just, it was nuts. The, the budget for this party must've been insane. And it was like reality TV stars and, and, you know, like minor celebrities and lots of influencers sort of moseying around. And I remember like so vividly being at this 
party and just looking around me and being like, dude, where are your friends? Like, what is, you know, what is this? I'd rather be down the pub with my actual mates. It's like, I looked at my clock and I was like, it's like nearly 12 and I'm working. Like, you're posting up on socials. Like, this is like, wow, look at my fun life. This is my job. This isn't like, this isn't, what's the point in any of this? If like, you're not sharing it with people that you like with the, the, the right people, do you know? And I, I left like Cinderella with very sore feet as well. Cause I was wearing obscene heels. I left this party, jumped in a cab and I text my mom the next day. And I was like, mom, I'm coming home. Like, and that was, that was it. It was like the, the shot, like disillusionment entirely. And I did, I quit my job, packed up my life. I left with, you know, a kind of no plan. I was also very sick at the time. I have a chronic health condition. And I was just like, I'm driving myself into the literal ground. For what? For what? Uh, not for me. Do you know? And it's, you know, again, zero judgment to anybody else's goals and aspirations. Do you know? It definitely, it was mine. But for me personally, as who I am, when I reached what I thought I, I wanted, it wasn't. It didn't have what I thought thought it was going to have. Um, I think in terms of, yeah, it's been very difficult for me to rebel. Honestly, I've had like a very accepting, like accepting family environment. I've always said when, when I was younger, me and my best friend um, from home, we've always laughed and said like the only way we could rebel is to become like extreme straight edge, like conservatives. And like, neither of us want that you know so it's like it's it's always it's been kind of like a a, a running joke um from from very uh from very early on um I would say as well that within like a lot of like having a lot of liberal understanding upbringing I also had like a very boundary upbringing um and I did have rules and I did have and so I definitely pushed those rules like any teenager um but I, I never turned entirely. I did. I, I would say that I grew up poor and that was like a really big chip on my shoulder. Do you know, that was like a really big, you know, I, I wanted, I didn't want to live like, I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want to be like a hippie. I was definitely embarrassed at the extent of my, my hippie upbringing. Um, uh, and, and I come from a community where it's, you know, it, it's, you know, in, in our terms of the world, it's poor, but it's really at simplicity and there is massive abundance here, but that, that wasn't something that I saw at the time. And I think I rebelled more against that, like that countryside, small town life, um, to go to the big city and, and be, be a big shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's definitely something that happens here in Western Australia as well, because Perth is quite small in terms of cities. And so a lot of people from Perth migrate over to the UK in particular. That's definitely a big one, but yeah, bigger cities in Europe. Um, yeah. It's definitely a common, common thing. Um, there was something that, that you mentioned, which I, I, I was reflecting on um, based on my own kind of childhood experience. Um, and I've shared this a couple of times. Um, is like I was bullied for people thought I was gay when I was younger. Like, and I was, I went to an all boys school, like an English grammar school here in Western Australia. Uh, and I was, 
I was bullied. My best friend was actually gay. Um, and so people, I was like gay by association and, and, um, and so, yeah, and, and it was, yeah, it was just the, it was just bullying around that. Um, and so like part of my, part of the way that I dealt with that as like a 13, 14, 15 year old was I, I bullied essentially. And so like, if, if people called me gay, then I would call like as a derogatory kind of slur, then I would call other kids who were even less manly or less masculine or who were just easier targets to pick on. I would then bully them and call them gay. And that kind of like cycle of homophobia was something that I, you know, contributed to and perpetuated in. And it's something I, I, you know, I regret doing, but it's, it's what I did as a 14 year old boy at an all boys school, you know, who was trying to protect himself from being bullied essentially. Um, and so my, and so I have, you know, even though I regret it, I have tried to have compassion for like, you know, a younger version of myself, but I'm like, I'm wondering, did, you know, did your experience of being slut shamed, did that then as a protective mechanism for you end up in, in, as slut shaming others? Yeah. Projecting that out. I don't like to an extent, but never like aggressively to people. I think that I was always, again, like I say, at the cognitive level, very in touch with like, um, my liberal values, right. And, and, and my feminist values. And, um, I've always wanted to be in the camp of like empowering, you know, and, and empowering women, but empowering, empowering people. Um, I was, I think it made me more radically like I have had situations even before this scenario happened. One of my very close friends. Now we were in primary school together and I know that she felt bullied by me in primary school before then. And we've had many healing conversations about that over the years and, and reconnected as adults. And like I say, she's, she's one of my best friends now. Uh, I think I was very, I'm again, I'm neurodivergent. I was very radical. Um, so I was always very much like, if I didn't like you, if I didn't really want to hang out with you, I had no issue being like, yeah, I'm not hanging out with them. Do you know, like, I, I don't want to play with, do you know, or if one of my friends was like, I'm going to go and play with so-and-so, I would have no issue staying in front of them while I'm not playing with them. Like, I don't really like them. And they, and they'd be like, well, come, cause I'm going to go. And I'd be like, well, if you're going to play with them, I'm going to go do something else. Do you know? Um, and so I think in that sense, I'm sure I hurt people. Um, I'm sure that I hurt people through my child, through my childhood and adolescence. Uh, I, I think in my teen years after I was very badly bullied, I became quite radical in, in the other way. It was like, I would not stand for watching somebody else be bullied. Um, I would, you know, I, I had several situations where even if it was my friends and, and I've always been quite ballsy. So in that, in, in those moments of like, I, I was stand up for somebody and it would be like, I will knock your teeth down your throat. Are you, <laughs> you know, I got in a lot of fights when I was a teenager. I definitely vent in, in angers. I used to like go, go out and, and end up in, in fights. I had a lot of fights with men, um, or boys, older boys when I was, when I was a teenager up until my late teens, I feel like the last fight I got into, I was about 18. Um, and, and, and yeah, I had a definitely a very like thuggy little side <laughs> to me, <laughs> um, during my, during my teenage years and a lot of anger, you know, and a lot of anger and a lot of resentment and, um, 
you know, obviously I went into bodybuilding. I enjoy, I'm, I'm a very physical person. I enjoyed that. And I loved, you know, I loved fighting. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I should have done some kind of form of martial arts or something and uh, channeled it more productively. Uh, and yeah, and like I say, well, I had my last fight at 18. I, I scared myself um, and was like, you know, you need to, you need to grow up. I was actually at that point as well. I was already, I was working in special needs education. I was working like in a nursery <laughs> and then on the weekend out, like the shit out <laughs> punching up. I was like, yeah. oh, you cannot do this anymore. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. Are you, I I, I don't think you mentioned this explicitly, but do you work with only women? Is that what your coaching is at the moment? Well, um, no, I feel like I, I do a lot of work I do a lot of work with women um, that again have that like wanting to find that sort of like liberation in themselves. I do so, uh, another big area of work for me is codependency, both from personal experience and and in in my coaching. Um, and oftentimes, it's uh, it is women that have come out of like a very one sided relationship. I I have well one-sided relationship I have like uh, I would say quite like a different approach to codependency in particular working with like the giver in the codependent dynamic um which just is very often the the woman you know it's not always it's not but it is or it's often women that come to me out of out of that dynamic um and I have a very interesting I guess approach to it because I'm really not uh, I'm really not into like radicalizing the label of narcissist. Most people are not narcissists. Even most people that show narcissistic behaviors or traits are not narcissists. I do think that term narcissist is being overused at the moment too, just to throw that in there. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it hugely. And, and the reality is that every single one of us has the capacity for narcissistic behaviors and tendencies. Anybody functioning from the wound level is going to be narcissistic because the, the subconscious is trying and, and your physical body at that point is triggered into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. You're trying to be, stay safe. Your is it might as well be life and death, as far as your body's concerned. So, we all have great potential to be so selfish to the point of narcissistic when we're functioning from from that place. The giver in a codependent relationship is just as narcissistic as the taker. You know, it's it is it is a dynamic that is never one way. It's, I feel like narcissist, like, um, sorry, that codependency, like the giver and the take- taker are two sides of the same coin. 
Um, the, the giving isn't really about the other person, you know, the giving is, um, about your, like serving your wound through that relationship and through that other person. Um, and the need for it is so deep that it's like one of the really fundamental like necessities for the giver in a codependent relationship is actually that the other person isn't empowered because they, they have to need you. <laughs> and if they don't need you, you're surplus to requirements, do you know? Um, so it can be very damaging both, like both ways, not to mention like constant nitpicking and criticism. They're never going to be good enough because you always have to have a project. Right. Um, and, and so my approach as well as really on like the, the ownership, whichever side of the codependent, I tend to work more with like the givers and the codependent because that's also, you know, for people listening or watching, I'm sort of doing quotation marks when I say giver or, or taker, um, because that, that's the surface level of the, you know, it's two takers and two, ta two, two givers, um, always. Right. And, and in any dynamic and, um, cycle in relationship there has to be participants for it to to function if if you're not participating it wouldn't happen uh and like i say that's my personal experience being the quote-unquote like giver and codependent relationships and coming out and then going somewhere some of this got has got to be you babe <laughs> it can't you know it can't just be like your terrible luck <laughs> that's not how, how how this works and i'm really about like ownership you know it doesn't and um, taking ownership of your stuff it doesn't excuse or minimize or absolve what somebody else has done or what somebody else has done to you or how somebody else has hurt you as wrong as it may again quote unquote wrong as it may be may have been uh that's not really your work do you know there's nothing you can and really do about it um and so you have to in terms of what other people have done or how other people have behaved in relationships that's harmed you or whatever it's like you you need to be able to like yeah process that pain um go through that process but reach a level of acceptance for it because that's like not your bit the bit that's yours is like what the fuck do i have to do to never end up here again do you know and that's kind of, that's like, that's my story and that's my, that's my work. So particularly when it's working with takers in codependency and again, oftentimes you're going to be looking at people that have like some form of victim complex, some form of martyr complex, some form of like good, good, good guy or like good girl, um, self-identity, uh, often going to be living very much, um, in, in, in a, almost like a bit of delusion, a bit of like around like being your idealized version of self and then shame spiraling when, because deep down, you know, that you, that you're not, um, in these people, the idealized version of self is like perfectionist to the next degree in terms of like goodness again, quote unquote, what does that even mean? Do you know? I'm curious what the role of what the what the role of sex is within that dynamic. Like, is it um, like within the quote unquote giver and taker dynamic? Is the giver like like 
rewarding with sex or withholding sex? Like, is it like how, how does sex play out? I suppose in, in a relationship like that. I think it can, I think it can massively vary. I think as well, what can often happen is that sex gets massively tied into the rupture and repair of um, these dynamics that aren't like healthy rupture and repair. I think as well that there's often a lack of intimacy in these relationships because they aren't emotionally safe for either party. Um, so, so even if you have closeness and, um, you know, a, love in the relationship, there is a lack of like safe intimacy in those relationships, which is often found through, through sex. I think often sex starts to represent something else in the relationship and becomes very difficult. Do you know, I think, and often it's like a huge, like something that the relationship really, really relies on. And then at some point becomes very difficult for the couple uh, in some way or another, because we, it's like, even when we're working at the subconscious level, we kind of know, even if we don't know, we kind of know. So if, if sex becomes very tied into something that is harming you and it becomes very tied into, um, becomes very tied into dynamics that also carry a lot of shame and blame and resentment and anger and like sex gets tied into this, at some point sex becomes a bit icky, right? And it's not sex, obviously, it's like sex within that relationship with that person dynamic. Um, and so I would say that there's often that pattern of like initial, I think most relationships, right? At the beginning, it's like explosive, um, but maybe even to a heightened degree, do you know, maybe even to like a heightened extent. And then it being like a little bit of like, a, you know, be very mindful if it's like, but the sex, like blah, 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 blah. But the sex is so good. <laughs> do you know, it's like everything, blah, 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 but I can't let go of like the sex is so good. Um, I think that a lot of that sort of wound drive initially can create like a lot of spark because there's so much like, uh, there's so much intensity in it, you know? Um, and I think in that sort of, it's, it's common in that sort of pattern, like I say, rupture, rupture and repair, um, in, not in the healthy sense, not about like, okay, overcoming conflict and coming through the other side of it, but that breakup makeup breakup makeup and it might not even be a literal breakup but it'll often be like through a, a cycle of um closeness like great sex life da, 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 and slowly like this withdrawal um and definitely like emo both emotional and and sexual withholding uh the quote unquote taker in a codependent relationship will often withdraw affection as a means of control um, because the taker in a codependent relationship is often going to be more needy. Um, and so this is a way that is going to really control their behavior. Um, it's also can be a protection like mechanism in itself. Sometimes it's going to be, again, not at the conscious level. Sometimes it is going to be subconsciously used to manipulate. Sometimes they're going to be withdrawing emotionally because you're just too much for them. Do you know, it's like they cannot meet you where you want them to meet you. It is terrifying. The level of vulnerability and intimacy that you're demanding from this person is just overwhelming to them. And they are withdrawing 
emotionally, not to punish you, but to protect themselves, you know? Um, and I think this is the type of thing as well, where when terms like narcissist are getting thrown around um, and we're getting, I feel like across the board, we are entering a really dangerous place of extreme binary thinking and wanting everything to be right or wrong and um, putting a huge amount of like morality on like the this is like a, a different status quo, a type of status quo um, that is acceptable. And, and I think that within, within this context, it's like the binary of like, there's a good guy and a bad guy. And um, that, that a, a, an unhealthy relationship has to be like a case of a narcissist and a victim. Um, it, it's, it's a great tool for bypassing, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, if it's all them, I don't have to do anything. And this, and the sad truth about that is like, you're only hurting yourself in that belief, you know, it's like, so if it's someone else's fault and I don't have to do anything, all I'm going to do is open myself up to this cycle, like replaying in my life until I am willing to, to look for it. And maybe, you know, in some rare cases, maybe you did, you know, you did, <laughs> luck out with a narcissist you know they they are out there it does happen um but it's it's not as common it's not as common and I think a lot of people you know a lot of people that think they've dated a narcissist would be very very shocked if they ever found themselves in a relationship with a through and through narcissist yeah yeah I kind of feel the same way and there's a couple of things that you mentioned here that like I'd like to tie into um, like sexuality in general, because there's like some things that I have noticed, like binary thinking for for starters. Like I used to think that that like having lots of, lots of sex was a good thing, and having no sex was a bad thing, right? As a young teenage boy, I was like very binary thinking in that regard, right? Um, and then you know, with regards to like um, kind of taking ownership and taking responsibility for like my sexuality, for example. Um, I didn't take like I, I did um, have like a period of celibacy. It was connected to my stay and, and ordination as a Buddhist monk in northern Thailand. Um, I was very lucky to be welcomed into a monastery in the northern area of Thailand. And so part of that taking the five precepts and the eight precepts was uh, a period of ab abstention and, you know, being celibate. Um, and that really challenged my belief system right of like celibacy bad lots of sex good and like starting to like take just ownership of my sexual yeah, like, energy and like my sexual self i couldn't do it That's what I yeah said. right it was another justification for my my monogamy right i don't have casual sex and i just i couldn't i couldn't not have sex like you know it's like so you've got, always got to be in a relationship because that's your only right yeah, that, and that, that was my and like I I um I've only really had um a couple of relationships like I I like I said um I'm like oh, fuck, I've I've been on a couple of calls today so I, I forget what I've said to who today um but I I I actually when I was um when I was in America so I I graduated high school and then went directly over to America when I was seventeen for um, university um and for some reason Americans love Australians like that 
you know, I don't know why, but we, and English people actually, the Americans love English people. Um, and so when I was over there, um, like it was an opportunity for me to just like capitalize on my popularity as an Australian, young Australian dude, and just have lots of shitty casual sex essentially, um, in the college kind of atmosphere. Um, you know, what wasn't, I don't want to give the impression that it was good because it definitely wasn't. There was a lot of alcohol involved and it was just not, not great. It was just what I thought I should do as a young man. Um, and, and so like the, the thought of then not doing that, cause that was kind of all I knew that was what, and that was kind of like what was encouraged and almost expected of me as a young guy with some, some sort of sense of popularity, which I'd never kind of had at high school. And so I kind of was like, Oh, I've got to really play into this and do this and be this type of guy. Um, you know, very like scarcity mindset, I suppose, when it came to sex and pleasure, I was just like, fuck, I've got to like, I've got to do this. Right. Um, and so like then to go from that five year period, very alcohol fueled, very just unhealthy, um, very toxic, I would say as well, definitely use the word toxic to describe like my headspace and my attitude, um, to then go to, um, go on a bit of like a spiritual journey, especially to, to Northern Thailand and then completely flip to like no alcohol and no sex, no really anything. Like I was, I was observing noble silence as well was very, um, like very binary, right? It was just like one extreme to the other. Um, but it really challenged my, um, my belief system around sex and sexuality. And, um, and I'm, and I just like, I'm wondering, I'm always curious when other people make the decision to go celibate, like what was it that kind of spurred that on? I know like some people, like I also have gone a year without drinking as well. I went a year sober um, and that was necessary for me in my own journey because I felt like I had a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And so my whole intention behind going sober was the first, like the first intention was like, can I do this? Like, is it possible for me to actually go a year without drinking? Do I like, do I have the willpower and the integrity to make a decision and then go for it? Um, and then also just like reframe my relationship with alcohol, like, especially like going out and hang out with friends. A lot of my relationships were alcohol based. Uh, and if I went out with my mates, I would, you know, go and have a drink. Um, similarly, if I was like m meeting a, uh, or dating, like it was, it, it involved sex. It had like it, it, those two things were, I couldn't separate those two things. Similarly, I couldn't separate alcohol and my male friendships. Um, so it's like a way of reframing the way that I related to people, um, and so I'm wondering just, yeah, out of curiosity, what, what your um, foray into celibacy was, what it came from? Yeah, I would say similarly as well. Like I've had, um, I've also had periods with alcohol, with drugs that I've also like stopped. And I think that that kind of pause on something like that is a, is a, it's a way of like re-examining your relationship with it without the other party, right? So whether that's like the drugs or whatever, and obviously in sex, it's way more complicated because you're it's like a whole other person, right? And it's a way of like, you know, well, to get still in yourself. And and uh, for me, as part of my celibacy practice, um, was also my my self pleasure practice and my self romancing practice. So I went, you know, I went through a phase of um, being married to myself you know, of being, it was like actually the most important relationship for me right now is my relationship with myself. Um, and I'm recognizing that a lot of toxic dynamics that I'm inviting into my life through other people are 
um, materializations and like, so it's like people are coming into my movie and playing roles of my story. Um, uh, and that are rooted in me. Right. And so it was like, I need to change the narrative here first in myself before I'm ever going to really be able to receive it the way that I like, you know, again, at the conscious level, cognitive level want. Um, so that was, that was huge for me in terms of my, my celibacy journey. Um, like I say, I had this, like, I had, because of my background, my relationship with sex was, and, and, and like my view of myself sexually was both, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like I was both repressed and hypersexual at the same time. And, and I'm like between these two, these two things and neither of them are healthy. Do you know? So it's like the hypersexual is like the performative, like sexy woman um, that I really couldn't even follow through with because I was very repressed. Right. And I just carried so much shame around around sex even when it was like good sexual experiences I often felt awful afterwards do you know um and even in relationships I often after sex felt incredibly vulnerable um and incredibly and I was always worrying um again between this like hypersexual and and repressive self um you know in sex it's like I wanted to be good at sex and I wanted to do the right things and I wanted but if I'm too good what are you going to think about me or if I you know if I experiment too much like how like how are you going to feel about it and underneath all of the this wounding and all of this trauma it's like I'm a very sensual person and I am a very sexual person and sex is super important to me and sensuality and like you know, em embodiment, share like sharing and sex being this sharing of embodiment between between people, um, is really important to me uh, and really like very spiritual to me as well. You know, it's really does for 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 me, and I know a lot of people out there take issue with this, but I've often talked about like how do I reconcile like being a deeply spiritual person with with a relationship with God, with having OnlyFans, with being a sexual person, with all of those things. It's like, it's one and the same, you know, it's like, it's part of my spiritual, spiritual practice and spiritual calling. It is literal life creation. It's portals between worlds. It is merging of body, like with another soul. Do you know, it's like, it's, it's, ludicrous to me that it wouldn't be <laughs> that it wouldn't be deeply spiritual and deeply divine um so I think my celibacy was also a, like a, a um a time for reflection and for prayer you know for coming into you know for really connecting into that divinity first on my own um, um and for myself uh and taking away Th that element of um perform what's performance you know what 
what's performative in this and then also recognizing what, where I was even even in solitude being performative do you know and it, it just gave me space to really observe myself um and during that time you know I did like uh, there was phases through my celibacy where I, I started to go on Tinder. And I know some people get really bitter about this, like people going on Tinder and then not really meeting up with you or whatever. But I was in a space where it was like it gave me an opportunity to interact with um, like potential romantic connections uh, at, at this like safe distance where I could again really observe myself and I had time to think about my replies do you know and I had time to think about like where I was um like I could fawn I could fawn massively um like uh and and get very into um you know not to this extreme but like oh you like that I like that too do you know what I mean and like be start to I think as well because of like the the consistent not like monogamy in my in my life it was like I had this real like like wife material like fucking complex you know of like like being like the perfect woman in very much in that context like it makes me cringe a little bit to say that um uh and very much like that kind that that kind of that kind of pick me energy whilst also being like the chill cool girl it's gonna like back with you do you know what I mean not like other girls yeah 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 um and so and and again I would say like not often expressed outwardly in a way that was like vicious towards other women um but it was like that constant try like needing to prove do you know and I would say that like a lot of men experience that in a different flavor do you know it's like it's different it's like either like the nice guy or whatever it is that guys are doing at the end of the day like when we're moving out of authenticity to to in order to connect with somebody else, the connections that we get out of that aren't going to be what we're truly looking for. Yeah, you know? I 100% agree, yeah. When you have to abandon yourself or betray yourself in order to connect with somebody else um, and push aside, like, your truth or silence aspects of you, um, it's, you know, you're setting yourself up for, like, uh, a probably not very pleasant experience or definitely not a connection that's going to be as, as fulfilling and meaningful as, as what I think most people deep down are looking for. Right. Um, so, so that was, that was, that was really it for me. It gave me like a really, like, it was a hard, long look in the mirror. My period of celibacy was a hard, long look in the mirror in many different ways and many different aspects during that period of time. Like it wasn't just celibacy. It was also, it was a, a, a lot of personal development work that I was doing. I'd been in therapy for, I think I'd been in therapy for a year, a year and a bit at that time with my current therapist, who's just ama amazing. Um, and I had already like, it was like, I went into therapy and it's like dove in on like the wounded in a child and the, the parent wounds, mother wounds, father wounds. Like it was diving in and going there and doing it. And I still, I just didn't want to look at this like 
bullying thing, you know? And I'm like, even like, I'm like, it's not that big a deal. You've been through way worse stuff than that. Like it's, it's not like, oh, it happened. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Right. Maybe you've got some things left over. It just, it just was part of your life. It's part of how you've developed. Like it just is, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Like I did not want to go there. It was the hardest thing. And like I say, objectively, not the worst thing that's happened to me in my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, but it, but it was, <laughs> you know, like. I'm, I'm curious about the, I'm curious about like the, the transition here from like, you know, the, the way you describe celibacy, which is really beautiful, which is like, you know, coming back to yourself, like recognizing that, like almost like recognizing that divinity within you and that like sexuality within you and that sensuality to then, and I don't have an OnlyFans, so I suppose I can't speak, you know, into this from experience, but then like, to then maybe sharing that with people, right? Like, and almost like the the other end of that spectrum of sexuality to go from a space of no, I'm not, I'm not doing this with another person. I'm doing this with myself. To now, I'm doing this with almost like with multiple people, right? We're, and sharing with with more than more than one person. Obviously, not in in, in a real life kind of or like in person capacity, but um, yeah, yeah. It, it is. You do share a lot of sexual energy, do you know, with people, and, and not always people that you want to right? It's a really big thing with OnlyFans. Um, so I saw, I, I had a big demand for OnlyFans. I also have a lot of male followers. I was in the fitness industry, which is like uh, quite largely male dominated, particularly in like the brand of fit, fitness that I was in. Again, because one of the cool girls, one of the guys, right? So I, was like, I was like blood, sweat and metal bodybuilding, right? I was like, uh, like go hard or go home went to like a, a very male dominated I was the only female PT at my gym um and I also have a large male following so there was a big demand for me to do OnlyFans and it was something that I just never felt like called towards like I, I think I'd even been like I will never do that in my life like I would never again from that like judgy slightly judgy place it's like I would never do that like I'm not that type but I knew that there was a huge demand for it. And I was, um, I wasn't even really thinking about OnlyFans. I was going through this process in my own journey. And I knew that like shame was massively tied in, tied into this. Um, and I had said that I really wanted to do like a sexy shoot for me. Right. Like I also, okay. <sighs> tied into all of this, right. <laughs> it's my ADHD brain. It's like, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I'll try not to go into massive tangents here. Tied into this, I haven't, I had an eating disorder. And when I was bodybuilding, obviously that was like really helpful to my eating disorder. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was sarcasm, by the way, for anybody that thinks. Um, so I had an eating disorder and I have a chronic health condition. And when, when I crashed last time, part of my like wonderful symptoms was to uh, have a thyroid condition, a uh, hypothyroid condition. And I gained an insane amount of weight very, 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 very quickly. So I went from being like comp prep abs to being like not, uh, you know, I wasn't obese, but I was definitely plus size. You know, I was, I was a larger, larger than I'd ever been in my life. And I could not lose that weight. Um, 
this was massive for me in terms of my, 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 how I felt about myself sexually, do you know how I felt about myself sexually? I like, you know, I really want to make it clear that in no way in what I say here, am I trying to shame anybody's body? Um, because I do objectively believe that all bodies are beautiful. I have a mental illness, which means that I do not see my body often as beautiful. And um, particularly like gaining weight is a huge, huge trigger for me and definitely was was back then. I felt a huge amount of self-disgust at this point. It was like, I didn't, I, there, there were periods of time where I went months without looking at myself in the mirror, where I would always wear clothes that I was like covered up in. I had be, I had survived my eating disorder through being in constant control. <laughs> and it was like, well, that's sorted now. And I don't have to really worry about it, except for the sorting of it took most of the space in my life. You know? <laughs> um, and so that, that was definitely like a huge factor uh, in all of it. And when, when I decided to do this shoot, it was like, I was, I w I guess I was probably about a year in after I had gained weight and I still couldn't get it off. It's like, I'm a PT and I understand training. I understand nutrition. I've competed in bodybuilding and nothing worked. You know, it was like, I couldn't do anything. Um, and so it was like, I have to reach a level of acceptance here. You know, it's like, I have to be hopeful that at some point, you know, also because I have a thyroid condition at some, at some point, this is going to level down, but I have to like, be okay with this at some level. I cannot be, I cannot maintain this level of self-disgust and, and not, um, you know, also during this time going through, I wasn't, this wasn't when I was in conscious celibacy, but I was going through quite long extended periods of not sleeping with anyone because I felt too gross to, do you know, it's like between being sick and being bigger than I was, was used to, it was like, I don't even feel safe in my body, like by myself. I like going to fucking allow you into this space right now. Do you know, like this, this doesn't feel like a safe space. So I wanted to do like a sexy, like set of photos, like a kind of like boudoir, like whatever shoot. And I wasn't gonna, it was just going to be for me. Um, and, and I was talking to one of my friends about it, um, who they, they, my friend owns a production company, um, and they do obviously videography and photography. And I was talking to them about it and they were like, make an OnlyFans, put it out on OnlyFans. Like, why not? You know, it's like, this is something that you want to do that you feel called to. That's definitely, you have an audience there. There's a demand for it. Um, and I sort of, I, I sat with it and I was kind of like, I was kind of like, there was also a catharsis in at the at the deep level of shame, both in terms of my eating disorder and my body, and in terms of like the slut shame. There was a bit of me that was like to actually like put this out into the world shamelessly is like a really it's like a, a it, it felt like a way of like, like going to like the, the little, 
like 12 year old girl in me, like you have nothing to be embarrassed about. You have nothing to be ashamed of, do you know? Like own, like owning myself, do you know? It was like this, this owning myself. Um, and, and yeah, and that's kind of like, that was how it began. I did, I did like one of my, one of my first shoot, it was actually my, my friends with the production company. They, um, did the first shoot for me. Um, we did end up, we did end up working together for a really long time after that, but they, they offered to do the first shoot for me for like free of charge. And they were like, let's get you rolling girl. Like, come on. They were beautifully supportive and, um, that both. So my friend that that owns the company, Will, and um, there's another Will that like co-founded, founded with him. Uh, and then Freya, Freya was doing the photography, but I was also held by, um, it held in that space also by like really awesome men, you know, and being in this um, environment shooting uh, and feeling very safe uh, with, with the, a male presence around me in it. That was also very healing. Um, and so it was a really awesome experience and I, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. There are things about OnlyFans that I do not, do not enjoy. Um, you know, speaking frankly, there are things about OnlyFans that I think are incredibly dangerous and problematic in, in the current climate. Uh, and I always, I've done a lot of videos on YouTube about OnlyFans and about making OnlyFans and about things that I think people should consider before they do, particularly at young age. I was 27 when I made my uh, OnlyFans account. So I already had a, a, quite a strong sense of who I am at that point. Um, I think that if I had made my OnlyFans account when I was 19, you know, 20, 21, it could have been extremely damaging and detrimental to me and my relationship again with myself sexually and my relationship with men. Um, and from there I've grown up at the minute, I'm actually really not, not creating very much, um, for OnlyFans. Like the, the pandemic's definitely put a huge dampener on my has put put a lot of restriction you know I was uh, like I said I was working with Royal Pictures my production agency doing YouTube videos we'd actually just started a really cool documentary series that we only have one episode filmed of that I haven't released um and I was going to London once a month you know and I was I was filming for for my YouTube sorry I was filming for my YouTube and I was doing really cool shoots for OnlyFans whilst I was in London. And now I'm not able to create the type of content that I want to for either platform. So I've kind of pulled back and I'm, I'm kind of focusing on other stuff, um, writing some programs at the moment and I'm focusing, I've been rebranding my Instagram massively as well, but I was doing a, um, a series on YouTube, which there are some episodes of if you, if anyone wants to go, go and watch them and they're, um, that I was going out in London asking people questions about sex and about uh it's called yeah, from, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From from the sheets to the streets, um, and asking people about OnlyFans, asking people about sexual education. Uh and I love I love doing those videos. They're super, super, super fun. Um and and like I say, I was doing this documentary series. We have one episode filmed, which was about Shabari. Um and it was uh, an incredible experience as well because it's sort of uh, the the woman that um, 
the woman that was like rigging me obviously gave a lot of information about about shabari but it was also very much like it was a, a, a session right so you get to watch me um tied up in ropes and then also um in my little sub list moment i do a little interview about like what what it was like right uh yeah so it was really cool and i really wanted to like feel like to mix the two together and i think that's also you know i haven't been creating on only fans as much because i can't do this kind of like this flow that i i really envisioned um i love fantasy too i love uh i'm 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 a massive geek. Like I have like loads of like Lord of the Rings tattoos and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like huge for me. I'm, I'm a horror nerd um, and a fantasy nerd. So I really like creating stuff that is a bit otherworldly. I, I actually really enjoy going quite dark with it too. Um, I really like creating stuff that's a little bit more fetish kink, BDSM, um, and that's also my preference in terms of like working online with with guys um more that are also on that wave not everyone on my page is but that's always like um what what i prefer definitely um, working working with submissive men is um very cathartic to me too do you know it's like um in in an area of my life where i've often felt very out of control taking on that control and I think with the context and the experience of also being a practitioner in personal development the great honor of holding a safe space for somebody to explore vulnerability through and I think um I think that it's you know again massively stigmatized and again uh and now like often seen as like a, a quick money maker with with very little once again like I, I think that um, there is something very sacred in in the dynamic, um, subdom dynamic, or in anything that's involving power play, um, that hinges on like deep trust and respect fundamentally. Even if you're even if you're absolutely humiliating somebody, do you know, underneath that, it's like that 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 is the the scene. Do you know that is the scene underneath? Like I deeply believe that um that kink and fetishes are a cathartic replaying of something within us um that need, needs healing and so it's like handling with handling that with care even if you're in scene being incredibly harsh you know you know what i'd like to see some conversations between pts and um pro pro doms that, that i reckon that'd be an interesting um there's a big crossover that's what i thought yeah i anticipate that there would be yeah you would be surprised how many, how many of the bodybuilders i mean nowadays with only fans it's a lot more open right but like back in the day, back in my day when it was early on a lot of the very big like big big names in in the fitness industry and like in the uk fitness industry that i was familiar with were dominatrix and it was a seat nobody knew and only you only knew so even before i was doing only fans or had any kind of connection personally to the sex industry i feel like i've always had a load loads of friends that have worked in the sex industry to some extent or another 
I've dated a few strippers. Um, it was like, again, that hyper, hyper versus, although I would say that that was a healthy, it was like, there was a bit of me that's in this really healthy curiosity and like acceptance and really surrounding myself with people that had like very healthy relationships um, with like owning their sexuality. Um, and I, and, and met some incredible, like, you know, some incredible, one of the guys, one of the guys that I dated that was a stripper and we dated quite casually for, you know, a few months, not very long. And he was so like life-changing, a life-changing person out there. Bless him. He's such a kind hearted, wonderful man. Um, and, and had such a huge impact on, on me in terms of like my, my sexual my sexual healing so I think as well like all of that's kind of like tied into like my OnlyFans like decision as well it's like you know it's I've been touched by people that are owning owning their sexuality in this way it was a huge thing in terms of like coming out with my OnlyFans like I was very clear that I was not prepared to do it in secret, that I didn't want to be hiding it from, like, I just really didn't want to be in that space. And obviously if I post it on Instagram, people are going to see it. I knew that it was not necessarily going to be like well received or understood by a lot of my family, including my mom. <laughs> my dad does like still doesn't actually know. I don't think, um, but not, not because I just like, I, I have a limited relationship with him. Um, but um my my yeah I told my mom before I launched a page before I went public with it and it was very much like this is something that I'm doing I know you're not gonna like it you have to just kind of like deal with it (laughs) (laughs) well I really appreciate the intentionality that you had like behind it like and where it's kind of come from and it wasn't just something that you were like I'm just gonna fucking do uh and just going to kind of go through the motions with so I yeah definitely resonate with that yeah it was a process yeah yeah was and it not but i think like from when i first like planted the idea that's that is not english that's me speaking spanish using english words when i first like really actually thought to myself would i would i be okay would i be comfortable with this shall i do this to when i launched my page was probably about a two-year process you know, like it was, I deeply felt into it before making, making that decision between, between, yeah, maybe a year between like 26 and 27, I would say it was very much like a long decision process. Um, and I was already at that, like, I was already doing some domination work, like, like privately, do you know, one-to-one. Um, I actually had no idea that you did that. I, that was, that was when you said that like five minutes ago, I was like, I, that Completely had no idea. So that's that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that. So um, I, I'm actually, I, I'm really sorry to, to cut you off, Kashira, but I, I am mindful of time. Um, and I, I just wanted to, um, yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm really enjoying talking to you as well. And I, I would love to continue talking, but I do have um, a, a prior, a previous, enga- a prior, previous uh, upcoming engagement, I suppose. Um, and um, so I, I did want to, to just close this particular conversation down with the caveat that I'd love to talk to you some more outside of this and in the future. Um, and um, yeah, I was wondering for, for maybe people that are listening um, and that have like resonated with your story, probably probably young women, I suppose, that might be listening. I do know that I've got a, um, an audience um, that's comprised of, of quite a few women that maybe like resonate with your own story um, 
do you have any just like words of wisdom, just like nuggets of advice that you might be able to give to them um, just to close down this conversation? Ooh, no pressure. No, yeah. yeah I know. Mm, I think, I guess like out of this story, like one of the big, really big themes is like when we really don't want to look at something, you know, when we're actively looking in the other direction, there's usually a really good reason for that, you know? And, and I think that any healing any healing journey takes a massive amount of courage um, and it, it takes a massive amount of honesty with yourself um, that is sometimes painful to, to, to do and to go through. And I feel like a lot of us, including myself at points in our lives, waste so much time avoiding that first step in, in fear of what's on the other side. And that first step is the worst bit. It's like, it's, it's brutally unfair um, that the first step is the hardest and like the most painful, um, but, but it's so deeply worth it. Um, and for me, it's, it has opened up my life in so, in so many ways, you know, in so many ways. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's it. And I think for, for, for women and for, and for men, you know, I'm, um, also deeply passionate about, about men's empowerment and men's healing, particularly in this time where I think there's so many barriers to it. And, um, one of the, one of the things, you know, that I feel super grateful for, one of the reasons I followed you and often share your work is I, I also have a lot of male followers. And when I started out, there was no other, there was no men to send them to, you know, it was like, I felt often out of my depth in, in, in ways that I felt like this should be a conversation you should have with another man. And there was no, there was no one, or if there was, I didn't know them. You know, I'm talking early days. I've been on Instagram since the very beginning, like a decade now. And there was no, there was no one. And now there are so many wonderful men like yourself you know, that are, that are supporting, supporting men's healing. And, and it's this beautiful societal brotherhood and fatherhood happening that is so deeply needed for all of us, you know, because masculine, like, you know, true masculine is, is so beautiful and it's so important, so integral to this world um, and to each and every one of us. And I think, you know, we, we all carry are masculine and feminine right so it's like we're the more shining examples of of that healthy masculine like that is for every person in the world so i'm super grateful to you super grateful to you oh, for having thank you as well no i really appreciate it and i really appreciate how open you were and honest about like your life experiences um yeah it's super vulnerable of you to share and i i you know, really appreciate you you yeah, I just feel really humbled that you were able to share so openly. Like that was really lovely of you. So thank you so much for, you know, sitting sitting down for an extra twenty five minutes with me as well to have a have an extended chat. It's been very lovely, and um, I'm looking forward to talking to you some more in the future. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much, and thank you everyone listening. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. 
You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.